Hello and welcome to this, the fourth edition of RPO Extra, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra podcast. RPO Extra is a podcast series with news of the orchestra, interviews with the team and soloist performers, as well as music from one of the most accomplished orchestras anywhere in the world. In this edition, we shine a light on the life and times of one of the featured composers of the RPO's repertoire, Antonin Dvorak. What's it like to be on stage and directing the RPO in action in front of a live audience? I've been talking to conductor Valentina Paleggi. Concerts are always so different. Every time is different because people are different. You can never have the same concert twice. I've also been talking to second violinist Sally Wynne-Ryan, not only about her work with the orchestra, but also the kind of outreach work that the RPO carries out away from the stage or the recording studio. Yes. I'd like to think that we do have a role in society that encourages people to come and feel passionately about music. So there's plenty to come. Antonin Leopold Dvorak was born on the 8th of September 1841. He lived until May of 1904. Czech-born, he was one of the first to achieve worldwide fame, having started composing in his early teens. Dvorak's earliest composing efforts received no critical reception or public performance, and with a tendency to be overly self-critical, he even burned some of his early manuscripts. Eventually, though, his music began to attract interest, including that of the critic Eduard Hanslick and the composer Johannes Brahms, who championed him and gave his fledgling career a boost. Without the support of Brahms, it's debatable whether Dvorak's career would ever have got off the ground. It was Brahms who recommended Dvorak to his publisher, who then commissioned what became the Slavonic Dances. These were highly praised by the Berlin music critic Louis Eilert in 1878. Sales of the sheet music were excellent, and Dvorak's international reputation was at last launched. Dvorak went to the New World in September of 1892 to become director of the National Conservatory of Music. Whilst teaching there, he also composed, and while in America, three of Dvorak's most famous works emerged. The String Quartet No. 12, known as The American, the Cello Concerto in B minor, and the New World Symphony. Neil Armstrong took a recording of the New World Symphony to the moon during the Apollo 11 mission, the first moon landing in 1969, commemorated half a century ago last year. And who hasn't hummed at least part of it? 
Homesick for Bohemia, Dvořák left America in 1895 to return to Europe. During his final years, he concentrated on composing opera and chamber music. Dvořák's melodic work has been likened to that of Schubert. His music is often influenced by folk rhythms, alternating major and minor harmonies, and novel approaches to traditional form. In November of 1895, Dvořák resumed his professorship at the Prague Conservatory. He died in 1904 at the age of 63 after a bout of influenza. In our third edition of RPO Extra, we looked at how the orchestra decides what's going to be played during its concerts and public events. But what's it like to stand in front of the orchestra and control what a live audience just a few feet behind experiences? Valentina Pelleci is one of the numerous conductors that the RPO has worked with over the last 12 months. And with a live pre-concert audience in front of her recently, I asked, as a multi-instrument performer and conductor, what came first for her? I was born as a pianist, and uh, and then w that wasn't enough. I was very, I've always been very curious about music and sound. So I skipped to the violin, and then I went back to the to the piano, and then I I fell in love with the clarinet, and then I fell in love with the flute, and then I got back to the piano. Do you play them all? Well, not at the same time. <laughs> no trombone just yet on your CV, then. Not yet. That must give you tremendous experience in that case to go into conducting. Was there a particular point at which you decided, rather than being on the desks with the other in uh, instrumentalists, you would prefer to be on the conductor's podium and directing the music itself? Was there a particular point when that happened? Yes, I was a kid. Uh, I was uh, 13. And I sang in the children's choir. And that was the very first time that I that I walked on stage on a big stage <clears throat> in my city in Florence. Um, Zubin Mehta was conducting the Metro Musicale, and uh, I remember the 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 impact of this huge sound of full chorus, uh, full orchestra of Carmina Burana, and I was one of the kids in the choir. And I remember I I was I don't know attacked by these this wall of sound and I, I wasn't able to listen to my voice. So I went on stage and I saw this man waving a stick. I, I couldn't understand anything. I mean, I, I, and then I, I felt lost and then I, I looked at him and in a way, through his movements of the baton, I felt that he was helping my voice to raise. Like, I don't know, something magic and I felt free and I felt part of something bigger than me. I felt that at that moment he was welcoming everybody, every musicians in stage, just to be there and, and share this wonderful music. And that was such a powerful moment that I'm here now. So if you had that experience at, at just the age of 13, where now does music take you when you're on the podium and you are conducting an audience like the RPO in front of a live audience? Do you have a, a kind of out-of-body experience or is it a very technical thing where you have to be very much rooted in the moment to be able to get the performance from your musicians that you're looking for? Well, what I think is that there is no... We are on a stage and you listen. This is... Uh, this is not to me how music works and this is why I like it so much 
because music happens when someone is playing and someone is listening and listening is not passive it, if, if it's hearing that's passive if it's listening it's active and you'd rather have listeners absolutely and when you come to the concert you you know you bring yourself you'll bring your experience you bring what you've just done you bring your hopes you bring your dreams you bring everything that happened and all it's 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 a lot to bring and that's why concerts are always so different every time is different because people are different you can never have the same concert twice what i dream is whatever i'll do i really want to do it at best so what i dream for my future is that today i give my best and tomorrow if i do something different i work on a different repertoire i'll do it on my on my best and this way i want to learn and to constantly glow that's rpo guest conductor valentina paleggi who was speaking to me just before a recent evening featuring the work of tchaikovsky who in turn we featured on an earlier edition of rpo extra the royal philharmonic orchestra podcast RPO Extra allows us to feature the people who actually make the music that you hear at Royal Philharmonic Orchestra events. It also gives us the opportunity to shine a light on some of the orchestra's activities away from the stage, activities that you might not otherwise hear about that often. This time, it's the turn of violinist Sally Wynne Ryan. Recently, I spoke to Sally before she went on stage to perform with the rest of the second violin desk. Sally has a particular interest in some of the RPO's valuable outreach work, and you'll hear about that soon. But first, I asked her what she sees as being the second violin's contribution to the overall sound of the RPO. Well, I like to think that the second violins and probably the violas are really, to for want of a better cliche, they really are that meaty filling between the firsts and the lower strings. They, they have been often described as... as um, as the pulse, as something really in the heart of the orchestra. Um, we're often a good go between, between the other sections and the wind. Um, and I think we get some really good writing. I think some composers write so brilliantly for the second violins. Um, Mahler, for example, I love his second violin writing. I think it's so exciting. I think he really um, really gets in there and gives us a lot of meaty melodies to play. So really, in that case, you're the foundation for the first violins to go off and do their thing. And, and you add in, actually, the colour, don't you? The substance. Oh, definitely. That is definitely true. I imagine the first violins wouldn't imagine, wouldn't uh, agree with that statement. But yeah, let's definitely say that's true. <laughs> There's the lilt of the valleys in your voice there. That's Clearly, right. you don't come from London. <laughs> I do not. Um, but I don't come from the valleys either. I come from the Mumbles, which is in Swansea on the coast in a very beautiful part of South Wales. Um, yeah, I grew up there. Now, you, you mentioned that you are part of the second violins for the RPO, but you're also involved in something away from the concert platform, away from concert halls. Tell me about Resound. Um, Resound is our education and outreach department of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, something I feel very passionately about, and I'm very lucky to be involved in lots of, our, lots of the projects run by the department. Um, it's a really wonderful experience to go everywhere really schools prisons old people's homes care centers um, i've been quite involved in our project called strokestra 
which is a rehabilitation with stroke patients, um, primarily run up in Hull, um, although we've just completed um, some sessions in Stoke as well and we're hoping that might take off. And music is increasingly being recognised as something that can help people who live with other conditions, like dementia, for instance. I mean, music can take you, whether you live with dementia or not. It can take you to a point in your life. It can take you on your travels. The RPO, as a result, at every concert that you do, will be doing exactly the same sort of thing, but in a more public performance way. Yes, that's right. Um, and it's funny you, you mentioned that because actually just a couple of weeks ago um, with Resound we were involved in um, the launch and opening of a new project um, known as Social Prescribing which has been set up to potentially alleviate some of the stresses um, currently on the NHS which is being developed as we speak. It's a very new thing to encourage people that have certain conditions to look elsewhere for um, not for treatment as such but for more sort of socially um, rehabilitating activities such as music such as going to concerts such as being um, participants in choirs just that sort of thing so yes going back to what you said about the RPO I'd like to think that we do add something to that and that we do have a role in society that encourages people to come and feel passionately about music now, in the recent past, uh, classical uh, orchestra music has been in the, pro- in the high uh, profile for journalism. There's been a story in the recent past which has really resounded with people, if I can say that without it sounding like a pun. There's a fiddler who lost uh, his violin. It's become a national story. This violin dates back to the 1600s, and it got separated from its owner because he left it on a train. You've never done anything <clears throat> remotely like that, I take it. <laughs> we have just been talking about this story. Um, I can't really comment on whether I've done the same thing. You might have to ask one of my ex-flatmates from college whether I might have accidentally left my violin in a kebab shop, for example. <laughs> but let's not say any more about that. And I have to say, since I had, um, had, I have got a beautiful violin that was made for me, actually by a Welsh man, John Watkins, who is a fantastic luthier, I can safely say I have never, to this day, left that particular instrument anywhere. <laughs> That's Sally Wynne Ryan, and you can read about the RPO's Resound programme by going to the Royal Philharmonic's website, which is www.rpo.co.uk. That's all for this particular edition of RPO Extra, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra podcast. In this episode, you heard the orchestra playing Rachmaninoff's Rhapsody on a theme of Paganini. You also heard Dvorak's New World Symphony, number nine in E minor, and Mendelssohn's Symphony number four, the Italian, and the Allegro Vivace, which forms our introductory theme. For lots more about the work of the orchestra, both on and off stage, just go to the website www.rpo.co.uk. Until next time, thanks for listening.